So the reading is from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralysed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Good morning. Now, if you can keep your Bibles open at that passage, let's just pray. Lord, thank you that you give us your word. Please help us to understand it clearly and to apply it to the way we live. For Christ's sake, amen. On May the 23rd, uh, 2001, Tony Blair, who was then Prime Minister launched the manifesto for the election that put him into his second term of office. And do you remember what he, he said about his priority? Our priority was, is, and always will be education. Education, education. Do you remember that? Now, what did Jesus say was man's greatest need? Well, we've got in this story, isn't it, this wonderful account uh, that we've just heard read. Jesus is telling us what our greatest need is, and it is, I hope you all got this one, it's forgiveness. Look at verse 5, if you've got your Bible open. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, people are lost because they're on the wrong path. They're chasing their careers, they're chasing this, that, and the other, going their own way. But Jesus longs to change that. And sin, basically, is going our own way, isn't it? So the first point that I think this passage majors in, the prime need is forgiveness. Now, I doubt that the paralyzed man and his friends understood this. 
they thought probably his greatest need was, well, he's paralyzed. But Jesus did see this deeper problem. Now, there's no suggestion in the text that this uh, poor man was a particularly greater sinner than anyone else. In fact, Jesus made it clear that illness and death are the work of Satan, but that these can and will affect all of us, our families, our friends, quite irrespective of whether we're godly people or not. It's our lot as human beings. So this paralyzed man was a, a normal person who'd obviously got great medical and therefore, in that situation, social needs. And that's probably all people could see. It's only after people are converted that they can then see that there is this deeper side. The world just cannot see this. So we've got a job of keep, keeping reminding people that people are naturally on the broad road that leads to destruction. And they need to get onto the narrow road that leads to life. I don't know if you see how outrageous it would have seemed to the Pharisees to hear Jesus talking like this. Your sins are forgiven you. It immediately saw that Jesus was claiming to be God. Look at verse 7. Why does this fellow, how derogatory, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And that's precisely who Jesus claimed to be. People don't understand this, do they? They don't understand that it's only in Jesus that we can be forgiven. A little while ago, some years ago, I was doing a, a mission down in Ramsgate. And in the afternoon, uh, I went for a stroll around the promenade down there. And there we met uh, a group of about 30 nuns. They were members of the uh, Sisters of Mother Teresa's Sisters of Mercy. And we wandered up and started chatting to these 30 nuns. And after a bit, uh, I said, can you explain, what do you think the gospel is? And one of these uh, nuns, she, she said, well, isn't it for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat? I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink? I was a stranger and you invited me in? I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me, from, from Matthew 25. See, the nun mistakenly thought that the gospel is what God's people do for other people in society. But that's not Christ's essential message. I, the... Uh, at this point, I, I, I asked her, I said, how does Jesus fit into this? And at this point, a senior nun came and uh, quite rightly uh, put things right. She said, no, the gospel is the news about Jesus, uh, that he is God who came to this earth 
to die so that we can be forgiven our sins. The good news is that those who come to Jesus are forgiven. Isn't it lovely to hear a senior nun talking like that? How, how we live is a reflection of that faith. And Jesus is clearly talking about there, about the reaction, how you test whether a person is a Christian. It's by the things they do. The, uh, the uh, question of the inheritance. Do you remember at the beginning of that story, Jesus says, uh, take your inheritance. You're, you have an inheritance because you're part of the family, part of the kingdom, as Chris said, as Stam said. Now, there's an archbishop, Anselm, in the uh, 11th century. He said to his contemporaries, you've not yet considered the seriousness of sin. Because they thought that the Christian message was about what we do. Now, Jesus said, you refuse to come to me to have life. That's the Christian gospel. It's a disaster nowadays to see pastors who forsake teaching the word of God and focus instead of what the world wants to see in churches. They want to see education, social care, help for those who are poor, drug abuse. This isn't wrong at all. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is that we can be forgiven. It really is common sense teaches you that to clean up the mess in our society without changing the root cause is not a brilliant solution. Just as it's not a brilliant solution to go around cleaning up your daughter's bedroom you know, each week without treating the cause. <laughs> Same in, in my field. And if you've got a skin cancer, you don't treat it with, with a sticking, you know, with a plaster. You go for the cause. And Jesus is stressing here that man's greatest need is to have our sin forgiven so that we can start living a new life. Uh, this man's subsequent healing was done to show who Jesus is. If he's not God, then he can't forgive our sin against God. Now, I don't know if you noticed, I was a bit puzzled by this. Why does Jesus say, what is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sin is forgiven, or to say, take up your bed and walk? Why does he say that? Well, surely it's because what it cost Jesus to be able to forgive our sin. It's certainly not easy for him. He went to the cross for us. Well, nothing is impossible for Jesus. The, the hallmarks of this healing are, are remarkable, aren't they? All Jesus' healings, as opposed to the healings of uh, healers, whether they're um, Hindu, uh, Muslim, or Christian, uh, are partial, delayed. Jesus's were instantaneous, complete. Only God can do that. 
Jesus proved he was God by this impossible miracle. So the first point, major point, uh, the prime need is forgiveness. Who got that? Next point, you see this one? The priority of word ministry. Look at the beginning of our passage. Jesus had returned to Capernaum, a small fishing village at the top of the Sea of Galilee. People had heard he'd come and a large crowd collected. Why? <clears throat> well, maybe some of them wanted to see some healings, but look what Jesus did, verse 2. He preached the word to them. Do you remember what Sam talked about last week? Look, look back at the previous chapter, uh, verse 38 and 39. Do you remember Jesus had been inundated with people wanting to be healed? Whereas Jesus wanted them to hear what God had to say. So he went off and prayed. And the disciples came and said, look, come on, crowds are back again. He says, no. Uh, verse 35, he decided to leave these crowds and move on. Look at 38, 138. Let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee preaching. Now, preaching and prophesying is passing on God's message about Jesus and the forgiveness that he alone can give us. And this is something we all do. It's not just people who stand at the front. When you're gossiping with your friends, having coffee, one-to-one -one conversations, perhaps giving literature to people, or inviting them to come to your home group or to church to hear about the way of salvation and forgiveness. If we're Christians, that's what we've been chosen for. All got that clear? Verse 2, he preached the word to them. Do you remember in, in Paul's final letter to Timothy, he knows he's about to be executed. He was beheaded. And he wrote this. Preach the word. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. It's a desperate need. People need to know that physical and social and other problems, they're there, they're real, but the greatest one is to get right with God. If, if anyone's... You know, uncertain whether this really is a responsibility of every Christian. Please do read uh, The Duty of a Disciple. It's outside. Uh, it's very clear. This is what God's people, a major calling we have to tell this news. Now this story also reminds us that preaching the word about salvation will never be done without opposition. Maybe this is why we find it difficult. Satan and his co-workers are everywhere. They're even in churches. Look at the way these uh, Pharisees uh, scorn Jesus. Now some, verse 6, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? They despise him. 
yet Jesus was willing to stand up to the traditions of the religious so that God's message can be heard. And Mark's gospel, if you know it, it's full of these conflict stories. Jesus was tempted by Satan right at the beginning. Uh, the book of Acts, full of these conflict stories, constant battles with the religious, with the authorities, because they want to get the message out that forgiveness, being right with God, is available for all people. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against principalities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Yeah, that's Ephesians. We are in a battle. Now, if anyone's not experienced this battle, can I just say, ask yourself, am I really engaged in it? Am I living for Christ? So, first point, prime need, forgiveness. Second point, the priority of word ministry in churches, individually. Now, the third point I've got is the importance of faith. Look at verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, sometimes uh, in the Gospels, faith is there mentioned as Jesus responding to it and therefore acting. But actually much more often, that's not there at all. Jesus seems to be healing people because he wants them to know who he is, his power. But what does God want to see in all of us? He wants everyone to have faith. That's the whole point of this. Faith in Jesus can be triggered by all sorts of ways, can't it? Uh, problems, illness, job issues, relationship problems. But whatever the, the trigger to get us thinking about what God thinks of us, undoubtedly, there's always got to be teaching the word of God. And it's that teaching that gives a response of faith. Yeah, I'm going to live as God wants. I want to be God's person. It's faith that opens the door to heaven. Without faith, no one will be saved. The whole point of this is to have faith in the Lord Jesus. Without that, no one will be saved. All clear on this one. Jesus, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or, or Peter, do you remember when he was on trial for his life uh, in, in Acts 4? Uh, they, he's being told, don't talk about Jesus. And he says, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name given to mankind by which we must be saved. So real faith will always radically change our lives. 
so that we become obedient servants of the Lord Jesus. James says, faith without works is dead. If our faith is just theoretical, we've got a problem. We're probably not saved. In, in Croatia, we've just come back from holiday. We were talking to a, a very pleasant middle-aged couple, uh, and I gave them that one of these little um, articles on mistakes, you know, minor, major, and catastrophic. Uh, and after reading it, she came back to us, <clears throat> and she said, "Very interesting." She said, "I'll give it to my mother-in-law because she's religious." But Rezi uh, said, are you a Christian yourself, or aren't you sure about these things? Uh, and she said, well, yes, I was baptized as a baby. And Rezi went on, uh, are you involved in a church now? Well, I haven't, but I think I'm going to start. Now, who knows, our prayer is that that sort of nominal interest might develop. Maybe her mother-in-law will be able to help her. But what she desperately needs is to be convinced about Jesus, to put her faith in him, to follow him so that she can be forgiven. Now, Jesus saw the faith of the people who brought the paralyzed man to him. And he can see whether we've got faith in us, a real life-changing faith. This same Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, is going to come back to this earth, coming in the clouds of heaven in glory. But next time it won't be to offer forgiveness to people, to share the gospel of salvation. It will become as judge. So, Although both his first and second comings had great authority in them, at the final judgment, that will be absolute. We'll all have to face this, and we'll either be acquitted because we are his people, or condemned because we're not. Jesus will be our judge. So it's vital that all of us and all our friends and family assure how we stand with Jesus. <laughs> Even in this little story, can you see the authority of Jesus coming out? Where he, look at verse 10, he says to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And <laughs> what's the man do? He recognizes the authority of Jesus and he obeys. And he finds the strength coming back to his legs. Look at 12. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. Can you just imagine it? I think he must have had a wonderful smile on his face as he was walking through this crowd. He wasn't ashamed. He'd met and been saved by the Son of God, the Saviour of the world. I I just don't think it'd be possible for him to keep that story to himself, do you? Incredible story. And verse 12, this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Interesting word. When they were praising God, 
What does Mark mean by that? Is he praising the God of heaven or is he praising Jesus? Because Jesus is God. <laughs> Unashamedly. I, I, the, uh, the effect of the gospel on people who've been saved is, is a joy and a radiance that should be seen. I, I love the story of William Tyndale. Do you remember he was the man who translated the Bible into English uh, at the beginning of the 16th century? He got burnt at the stake for doing so. Uh, but what he wrote this, he said, Good, merry, glad, and joyful news that makes a man's heart glad and makes him sing, dance, and leap for joy. See, that's that fabulous feeling that God has saved me. That's what that man must have had, and which should be a feature of us. Now, the, the last point. Notice the persistence of this paralytic man's friends. In verse 5, whose faith is he referring to when Jesus saw their faith? I think it must be the persistent faith of those perhaps four friends and perhaps the paralyzed man himself saying, please, can you do this? They wanted to meet Jesus. They knew that he alone could help. But, as you know, they had real problems. The, the crowd was really dense. They couldn't get him through the crowd. So, they think again. They think of a new way of getting him to meet Jesus. They decide to go up onto the roof. They go up the steps at the side and the roof there would have been palm leaves matted down with mud. So they lift off the palm leaves. Nothing mattered so much as to get their friend to meet Jesus. And there they let him down through this hole. <laughs> and then you've got the problems. Can you just imagine the religious people sitting in the front row there in their chairs? Their whole approach. See, this is improper. This isn't the way to do things. They'd have been critical. But they determined that this person should meet Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus acted. I wonder, do we all have such a persistent faith to help our friends and our family find Jesus? Do we invite them? Do we give them things to read? Do we keep praying for them, keep encouraging them? So surely one great application of this story is to emulate the friends of this paralyzed man and to keep going, in, although there will be problems that come, to make sure that people understand the message of Jesus. So this is a a well-known story. You can see that it's rich, isn't it? So let me summarize. The prime need that we all need to be forgiven by God, to be, become members of his kingdom. The priority, preaching. Bible teaching in the front of churches, but 
Bible teaching with our friends. The importance of personal faith. If we're going to be blessed by God, we must have this commitment to Christ. And that will be seen in the persistence of the faithful. It's by hearing and accepting this good news that Jesus can put us right with God. He can take us into his eternal kingdom. We see a bit of it now. But then it's going to be glorious. And then we'll be blessed. If you want to do some homework, and it's lovely to do it, can I just suggest, read Ephesians 1, sort of 2 to 14, the first chunk, when you get home. And just see if you can discover the many ways there that we Christians have been blessed by God, by the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this gospel. Thank you that Jesus is our hope and that because he died for us, we can have our sins forgiven and be admitted into your kingdom. Lord, help this to change us. Help us to be rejoicing. Help us to pass on the message. Help us to persist in helping others find the Lord Jesus. For your name's sake. Amen.